You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, July 15, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap. Always a great conversation when Jared is with us on a Friday afternoon. But first, closing numbers on the day, U.S. equities. Well, the good news here is we broke the losing streak that spanned five sessions. NASDAQ composite up one spot, 8% on the day. S&P 500 up almost 2%, one spot, 9.1. Dow Jones Industrial Average up over 2% on the day. With that said, let's bring in Jared Dillian. Jared, welcome back to Real Vision Daily Briefing. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks. I'm looking forward to this today. So Jared, I know the answer to this question, but what are you thinking about right now? Uh, I I mean, is this a a time to make a joke? (laughs) Always. You know, it's, it's been, I'm exhausted. It's been, it's, it's not only been a tough week, it's been a tough couple of months. Um, there's not a lot to be happy about. You know, I actually, you know, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I've been expecting inflation to fall. You know, I was an inflationist inflationist early on, and uh, I was calling for inflation early, and I'm sort of calling for disinflation early now. I thought the print was going to be below 8.6. Uh, got it completely wrong. And uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's it's been a tough 9.1 for those who don't know on CPI. Yeah. So, so, you know, Jared, you were in good company here uh, in folks who were saying that they believed that the rate of inflation was decelerating, that we were past peak was a narrative we frequently heard. What did you see to make you think that? And more importantly, how have you readjusted based on what we saw with the actual data? Well, first of all, you know, commodity prices have been falling for a while. Okay, so the big commodities, wheat, corn, soybeans, oil, gold, every, you know, all of the big commodities have been falling. But also beyond that, if you dig into like the CRB rind index, which is non-exchange traded commodities, if you have a Bloomberg and you can pull that up, I mean, it's it's in free fall. It's crashing. Right. So these are raw material prices and these are down. You know, the CRB is down about 10 percent from the highs, but the CRB rind index is down about 20 percent from the highs. And just, you know, a lot of the anecdotal stuff I'm hearing from my subscribers People who work in the real world with real stuff are telling me that their inputs, their input costs are going down. I've been hearing this for a little over a month. So that's that's really what's been driving my predictions. Okay, so the second question follow up 
with the data being what it is, what are your thoughts and what are the implications that you see going forward? You know, I, I, it's it's funny. I, I'm not very I'm not a stubborn person. Um, you know, if uh, if the market proves me wrong, I change my mind. But I'm really holding on to this view. I'm I'm holding on to this deflationist view. Um, I think it's the correct view. And look, like I, you know, if you believe that we are that inflation is going to fall, what would you buy and what would you sell? Well, you would buy stocks. You would buy gold, you would buy oil, you would buy commodities, and you would sell the dollar. And as of 10 a.m. yesterday, 10 a.m. yesterday, that is where we reached extreme levels in all four of those things. And ever ever since then, basically the last 24 hours, it's been up and to the right. Talk a little bit about that, the last 24 hours, what you're seeing and what your interpretation is. Well, you know, I think we reach capitulation, uh, you know, and a lot of that's, that's a word that a lot of people throw around. Um, I really do think we reach capitulation. Uh, I can tell you, you know, as, as an observer of sentiment, I try to be detached from my own emotions and I try to be an observer of other people's emotions. But I can tell you my emotions as of yesterday morning around 10 a.m. I like that's. You know, I, I was I was experiencing extreme fear at that point, you know, so really like I think I think that was capitulation. Um, you know, stocks, I think, have a lot of upside. The The 61.8 retracement takes you to about 4350 in the S&P. That's a massive move. That's a move of about 10 percent. I think it's very possible. Yeah, um, let's talk a little <laughs> bit. I, I mean, it's just this is the challenge with these markets right now is we have historical correlations breaking breaking down. We have things moving in inverse directions. We have contradictory data. We have challenges with inflation, obviously very well known. Uh, we get a, a producer price index print again back in the double digits, some slight deceleration there, but again, still the same underlying trend. Uh, meanwhile, we have a U.S. retail sales print today up 1% in June. Uh, despite the uncertain outlook that we have, uh, an indication that this is not just from inflation, but from real actual terminal demand. Uh, just reconciling all of these different moving parts in this market, it's a challenging one. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I just, I just want to say one thing, you know, yeah. um, being in financial media and being a user of Twitter, right? Like if you go back to... 2017, 2018, 2019, who were the who were the people who were really big in finance Twitter? Well, they were the people who were promoting tech stocks, they were promoting index funds, they were promoting passive investing. Like those are the voices that were the loudest on Twitter. And as of today, they've been replaced by an entirely new set of voices. They've been replaced by the dollar bulls, they've been replaced by the Tesla bears. It's it's an entirely different crowd. So all of finance is a game of you get to win for a while and I get to win for a while. Right. So basically, there was one crowd, the tech investors, the bond bulls that got to win for a period of three or four years. This new crowd has been winning for a while and it's going to change. It's going to change. It doesn't go on forever. So talk a little bit about that rotation. What are the themes that you see? How do you think about the sectors? How do you think about the style factors? 
Well, in terms of sectors, um, you know, you, I, it's as is, is crazy as it seems, you'd have to be pretty bullish on tech here. Um, you have to be pretty bullish on retail. Uh, and the safe haven stuff, staples, utilities, you'd have to underweight. So, but I really like, I don't, you know, I, I think banks are also, the, the, the bank charts look great here. But, you know, really like, I'm not even playing individual stocks or sectors right now. I probably haven't traded a single stock in about six weeks. Like I'm just really in, in times of capitulation and fear. It's really all about the index and trading the index. You know, if if you think it's time to buy stocks, you could just buy spy or calls on spy now, and the index will go up a couple percent, and then you can peel out of that and rotate into single stocks. Well, let's talk a little bit about this term capitulation, because it's one that we hear often, this idea that people who are on the other side of a trade, whether short or long, eventually throw in their position, capitulate, close it out, get out of it, realize their losses, and get done with it. Is that a process that you see happening today? And if so, where? And perhaps where most strongly? Uh, actually, probably the, the the strongest place I'm seeing it is in oil. You know, we had a very rapid um, correction in oil. You know, it was a pretty noisy short in oil there for a while. And uh, that correction actually kind of happened right on cue. Uh, it's been very short in terms of time. It's only been about a month, but it's been really, really severe. I mean, 25% in terms of the price of oil. And I actually think we got to capitulation pretty fast. I mean, that was one of the things that bottomed 10 a.m. yesterday. And I think we're there. So I saw some comments today that Biden says he wants oil to stabilize above $100. Um, so it probably will stabilize above $100. Yeah, oil, we should say, uh, looks like a high on uh, 3.8. Looks like this is, uh, this is early March uh, 2022, 123 right now. WTI, August 22 contracts trading at 97 spot 63. Uh, with that, by the way, speaking of oil, it's a great time to bring this up. A conversation that we had on Real Vision today. This is a conversation between Tony Greer and Anas Alhaji. Uh, this is what the early stages of an energy crisis feel like. That's the title of the piece. Let's take a look. Generally speaking, if we look at oil market fundamentals alone without any macro variables as is, prices should be between 100 and 110. Uh, but as you mentioned, because of recession fears and because of the fact that Russian oil is still in the market, unlike what people expected in the beginning, and OPEC uh, basically been increasing production, as we've seen from OPEC report uh, today, uh, despite the loss of Libyan oil and Kazakh oil and others, despite all of that, uh, it, it is very clear that the recession fears played a big uh, role today in lowering prices the way they did. Uh, in addition, we have other issues because uh, President Biden is going to visit Saudi Arabia in a couple of days. So he's going to be there uh, on the 15th and the 16th of July. And some people expect some good results out of that. I am not that optimistic about it, but some people think that it might yield some results. So we'll see. So just as we were saying, oil prices being dampened by the recessionary outlook, uh, no surprise there. Of course, uh, President Biden 
in uh, Saudi Arabia today. This is the 15th. And um, as we look forward to this, I hear some uncertainty in the tone. We'll just wait and see. But he says he's not optimistic about it. No, I think, you know, I, I think uh, oil is going to stabilize here. I think it's going to trade within a range for the next uh, couple of months, um, you know, and that's pretty much it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, what else are you looking at in this market? What else has caught your attention? Uh, you know, rates are kind of in um, technical no man's land at this point uh, with tens at about 2.9. They're in the middle of the range. If you look at Fed funds, you know, I actually think the Fed, I'm pretty sure at this point that the Fed is going to go 75 at the next meeting. Uh, this talk of uh, 100 basis points seems to be tamped down. So, you know, I, ironically enough, it's going to be a 75 basis point hike and it's going to be a dovish hike. So, um, you know, actually, I think that's going to be construed positively for the markets. Uh, the back end, you know, a lot of people, if you go back about a month ago for the last CPI reading, when CPI printed 8.6 and the bond market just absolutely crashed and mortgage rates went to 6.2%, a lot of people were really afraid that the back end of the yield curve would come unglued and we get much, much higher rates. That's not going to happen. We're pricing in recession fears. And the curve is inverted to the tune of about 20 basis points right now. Yeah, twos, tens you're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we've, we've actually seen uh, a fair amount of conversation to call back to a, a point that you made earlier about tech stocks. I'm, I'm looking right now uh, at XLF on my screen going back uh, uh, year to date here. Basically, 41 to 31. That's the that's the short version of what happened. 25% or thereabout loss in that. You see this as something that's potentially oversold based on momentum, sentiment, or do you have some other model that you're looking at for that pricing? No, it's just uh, I mean it, they're they're decent looking charts. You know they've uh, they've been selling off like you said to the tune of about 25%. I think they've begun the bottoming process. Ironically, this whole texting fine of a billion dollars. I mean, from a sentiment standpoint, these are the types of things that happen at the bottom of charts, you know? Um, so I, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so many questions ripping up right now. Obviously, when you come in on a Friday, we get lots of questions from our audience. What do you say? Anything else you'd like to touch on before we jump in and hit that, Jared? No, let's do the questions. All right. This one comes to us from Raymond from the Real Vision site. I love this question. Ash, if the Fed is between the Scylla and Charybdis, reminiscent of the lyrics from Wrapped Around Your Finger from the Police, what will we expect the Fed to say next? Devil in the deep blue seas behind me or vanish in the air and you'll never find me. I know you're a big music guy, Jared. I'm sure you like that one. <laughs> it's a very creative question. You know, Mary Daly was speaking today and she said that she, I'm going to I'm not going to get the paraphrasing right, but she basically said she's seeing signs that inflation is dropping, right? You know, at the beginning of our conversation, I said, you know, I talked about the CRB, I talked about the CRB rind index. You know, if if you look around in the economy and the Fed has a lot of data, they can see that these price increases are slowing down. So 
you know, I don't I, they, they we're not going to get a 100 basis point hike. I think where they kind of have to hike 75, but it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to hike 75 at the September meeting. It's probably going to be 50 or 25. You're going to see this price deceleration happen. How long has it been since we've got a hundred basis point print? It's been a hundred basis point change rather uh, in the Fed rates. I mean, it's like, gotta, I think years. you got to go back to Volcker. You yeah. got to go back to Volcker. Yeah. We were not looking at financial markets when that happened. No, no. I was listening to village people, cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was listening to it on an A track. <laughs> Here's one from John a from the real vision website question. What is the catalyst that will send the S and P into a tailspin? Again, obviously a bit of bearish in interpretation there from John. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you have to wait a couple of months. You know, I think we're going to get a decent sized bounce, and I think you have to wait a couple of months. Um, I mean, look, like it really comes down to inflation. This it's funny because the CPI number, if you go back to like the middle of the 2010s, CPI was like nobody paid any attention to it. Like it seriously, nobody paid any attention to the release. You know, it was 2.1, 1.9, 2.2. Nobody cared. And now it's the most important economic data release that we have. So, you know, things are going to be pretty choppy until it, we start seeing some progress on inflation. And you got to you got to start getting it down. So, I mean, we could have another leg lower in stocks, but I, I don't I don't see that happening for the next couple of months. I think we're going to pretty, pretty big bounce in the interim. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit like saying nobody pays attention to the thermometer when it's 72 and sunny. Yeah, exactly. Here's one from Bo Nito, a regular viewer here on Real Vision Daily Briefing. It comes to us from the Real Vision website. And the question is, Jared, what's your take on today's big gains versus the relatively anemic volume? You know, uh, volume, I think, uh, you know, I am sort of a technician, but I don't pay a lot of attention to volume. You know, this is like the number one thing I hear about volume all the time. Like volume, like you'll you'll say, well, you know, the market was up 2%, but spy volume was like less than average or something like that. Uh, I don't think volume tells a story. You get high volume in the index during periods of stress, during periods of stress. So, you know, it's going back to previous bounces, like the biggest one I can think of is like March of 2003. You know, the, when the stock market started to rally, it was rallying off a of very low volume. And people said it's not real because we you don't have that volume push, but it absolutely was real. Next question. It's a short one, but a devastating one. And it comes from Bill from the Real Vision website. And the question is this, are we ever going to hear the words debt service from the Fed or from anyone? This is a really important point. And just a little bit of context and preface around this, because this obviously alludes to some macroeconomic variables and some questions that are out there. Uh, I'm looking right now at uh, the total public debt as a percent of GDP. We are now at 125% or thereabout. The idea behind this question, the implication being that as interest rates rise, debt to GDP ratios aggregate levels of public debt become increasingly hard to finance. Jared, any thoughts about this? Is this something that's on your radar as a potential risk? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. First of all, you'll never hear the Fed comment about it because it's not their job. That's the Treasury's job. And as long as the Fed has some degree of independence, they're going to they're going to perform monetary policy in a vacuum and they're not going to consider levels of public debt. 
Uh, our interest expense when interest rates were on the lows were about $300 billion a year. At current interest rates, if they hold here, they're going to be about seven or $800 billion a year, so about an extra four or $500 billion a year. Um, I think it's a little bit early to think about sort of the debt spiral, you know, um, and it is possible that we can get it under control. I mean, after all, in the midterms, we're probably going to have a Republican Congress and Senate and which is going to bring all spending to a screeching halt. And you could see this deficit get much, much smaller, in which case the interest expense won't be as big of a concern. So, you know, it's on my radar, but it's not something that keeps me up at night. So essentially, it's a problem. It's a risk, but not something that you see being an imminent challenge. for the Not imminent. Yeah. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate to the first part of the question. It's kind of like going to your GP and saying, I've got these terrible allergies. Can you give me something for it? He writes you a prescription for an antihistamine. You're covered in a rash the next day from your head to your toes. And he says, well, you know, that's really a problem for the dermatologist. Doesn't the Fed have to think about, at some level, the implications of aggregate debt and debt service? Because it clearly has implications for growth and therefore for labor markets. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a very it's a very slow moving problem. You know, it kind of reminds right. me of um, 2008 when we started quantitative easing. Okay, and every hedge fund manager in the United States immediately said, "We're going to have inflation." Right. And gold went from 700 to 1900 and interest. They thought interest rates were going to go up, but they went down and we ended up not getting inflation for another 12 years. You know, so it got priced in very quickly, but it didn't become an actual problem until much, much later. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is such a great point you just made, Jared. This notion of time lags uh, and how you can have these variable time lags on things, which you can get the ultimate answer correct, but your timing can be off. And in fact, we should say that there were people who lost money making that trade with the expectation that inflation was imminent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so hedge funds at the time were buying gold and they were also putting on what was called CMS caps, which are basically call options on the actual rate of interest uh, in the OTC market. And these hedge funds just got annihilated on these CMS caps. You know, interest rates actually went down, which was the opposite of what everybody predicted. Jared, we just got up the CRB Rind Index on the screen right now. If we could take a look at that chart, it would be fantastic. It would be great if you could walk us through what we're seeing here. So this is uh, the CRB Rind Index is non-exchange traded commodities. So I only know the funny ones, like one of them is burlap and one of them is tallow. I actually looked up, uh, I looked up on Bloomberg today what was in it, and it doesn't have it on the description page anymore. But these are non-exchange traded. This is spot commodities. And as you can see, we're below where we are a year ago. And the CRB Rind Index has historically been a leading indicator of not just exchange-traded commodities, but also inflation. 
Yeah, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about when you you attempt to essentially look at what's not being covered uh, in pub, in publicly traded markets and get an insight in what's happening in the real economy so that you can get a gain uh, a sort of a a view of what's going to be happening next in inflation. Yeah, and and actually, I think you know the futures markets. I mean, I have nothing against the futures markets, but. Um, you know, as we saw with lumber last year, you know, you can really push around the price of commodities with a lot of leverage. There's a lot of leverage in the futures markets. And lumber was up, you know, 300% and down 60% and up again. And a lot of that was driven by speculation, you know. So um, it, when, when you strip out the leverage from the futures markets and you get in a look at like, you know, the underlying real world, like this is actually what's going on. Next question comes to us from Yo-Yo from the Real Vision website. And the question is, where do you see the euro going? Obviously, implicit in this question, uh, if we're talking about euro valuations against the dollar is the price of the dollar. We should say here on the day, euro caught a little bit of a bid. Euro USD uh, now trading, it looks like 101 uh, or thereabout on my screen. I mean, I think the, I think the dollar has peaked. I think uh, on a sentiment basis, the dollar was one of the most crowded trades out there. Uh, if you spend any time on Twitter with all the dollar bulls, it's like AMC. It's like the apes. You know, there's this whole cult around the dollar going up. Uh, EURUSD was, I mean, there was basically a magnet at parity. There were, I think there were a lot of barrier options there and a lot of barrier options get triggered. And it dipped below parity for a little bit and it traded higher. I think the dollar gets substantially weaker over the coming weeks. And I think EURUSD could go to 104, 106 area shake a lot of people out. That's really interesting. Thinking about the sort of memetics or memeology of uh, the dollar, it's interesting. Is it, how are they how are they expressing that? Are they are they just like are retail investors opening up currency accounts and actually transacting in EURUSD? Are they buying uh, Dixie DXY US dollar index? How are they participating in that trade? Yeah, all the above. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of retail FX activity. Uh, there's a lot of leverage in retail FX uh, too. Um, but also you can, you can, you know, the, the dollar bullish trade you can do implicitly, you know, so there's a lot of ways to do it. I'm looking here at the, uh, at the questions as they scroll by lots of uh, things to ask about here. One to us comes from us from Mr. Head from uh, YouTube. Uh, Mr. Head wants to know, what are your thoughts on the long bond? Well, the long bond is, you know, the funny thing about the long bond, it's uh, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. It's kind of an orphan on the yield curve. Um, you know, I'm actually paying more attention to 10-year rates, you know, but when people trade TLT, what TLT is, it's a basket of bonds on the run and off the run between 20 and 30-year maturities. Okay, so that's right. what TLT is. I so, share 20-plus-year I mean, treasury bond ETF. Yeah, that's like ultra long duration. And I, I just I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot to do there. Like we're in the middle of the range. Um, you know, if anything, I would be bullish. I mean, if you put a gun to my head, I would actually say 30 year rates are coming down. But it's not the most interesting part of the curve. What is the most interesting part of the curve for you? Well, it's it's the it's the shape of the yield curve. It's the inversion right now. And one of the things I said at the Real Vision Macro Experience, probably the only thing I said that was right was the I said that the curve was going to invert and I said it was going to invert a lot. 
And the reason that is, is because the Fed is going to continue to hike long beyond it's what's necessary. And the back end of the curve is going to be pricing in recession. So you could see inversion twos, tens of 50 to 75 basis points. I think it continues to get more and more inverted. So, so let me zoom in a little bit there on that idea. You said something that was interesting, which is that you believe that the Fed is going to continue to hike long after it's necessary. Why do you think that? And what are the implications there, Jared? Well, it's really about optics. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. inflation is the number one political issue right now. I mean, it's like this is what's going to affect election results in November. I mean, it's the number one political issue so, I mean, the Fed is independent, but I'm sure, you know, Biden had a conversation with Powell and I'm sure the conversation was do something about inflation because it, the Democrats are in danger for sure. So the the Fed is going to be more hawkish than is necessary. So you have people like Mary Daly saying, look, like prices are slowing down and she is a dove, but they're, they're going to hike probably, I would say, to three and a half before they stop or pause, probably to three and a half. Is there the risk that there's going to be this, uh, what Jim Bianco calls the stop go function, that they're going to get to three and a half or 375 or whatever the terminal rate is, and then they're going to have to start cutting again because of the dangers of contraction and impairment of the labor markets that might come if you saw a steep decline in productivity and growth? Yeah, it's it's a little too early to be talking about that. But if you look at your dollars, Like, I mean, we have about 80 basis points of cuts priced in in 2023 and 2024. So, I mean, the yield curve is already pricing that in. Well, you're definitely right about it being early. We currently have a labor market where we have uh, two job seekers for every job. Excuse me, the two jobs for every job seeker. It's hard to even say right, right? Like, I know. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's this idea that, that there's, you know, that you have, you have more, uh, the, the labor imbalance is precisely the opposite of what we would expect to see during times of recession. Well, I mean, the only thing I will say is that all recessions are different. You know, I've, I've been around for four recessions. My career started in 1999. So in the dot-com bust, we printed negative GDP, negative 0.1 for two quarters in a row, and that was a recession. The real economy was not that weak, but the capital markets were very weak. You had stocks down 50% from the highs in the S&P, and the NASDAQ was down 80%. So that recession felt a lot worse. Obviously, the great financial crisis was a different story. Unemployment went to 10%. Right. And then we had this very short-lived recession during the pandemic where unemployment went over 11%. Yeah, exactly the opposite of this idea of more jobs than people to fill them. Yeah, I mean, this one's, this one's going to be different. I mean, I think we will have a recession. I think the NBER will declare it a recession. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to get unemployment much above 5% because What's going on with the labor markets is this is still the remnants of the pandemic, right? So we we still have this labor imbalance that was caused by the pandemic, and it's taking time to be worked off. But what I will say is that the economy can move fast, okay? And if things start getting worse, a lot of these job openings will disappear overnight, and it will restore balance to the labor market. So it could happen fast. One more question we have time for before we wrap for the day. Uh, this one comes to us from William H. from the Real Vision website. Raul says ISM at 35 to 40 in a month. Your views, ISM, uh, is this something you follow? And if so, what's the significance? ISM, at, management, ISM at 35 to 40 in a month? I don't know. I don't, I, 
I don't know if that was Raul's call. I think it was a 35 to 40 over uh, the coming months, uh, but we'll have to check it. But um, overarching question, do you see that significant deceleration in ISM? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing in all the regional manufacturing surveys, so Dallas Fed, Philly Fed, Richmond Fed, Empire State was actually a little bit better today. Uh, Expectations were negative, but it came in up. But if you look at the sum total of all these regional surveys, it's pointing to a lower ISM. The next the next ISM reading, I don't know when it is, but it could come in close to 50. Jared, as we come to the conclusion of this conversation here today, final thoughts, key takeaways. We've covered a lot of ground. What would you like to leave our audience with going into the weekend? Uh, I think I think this is a time to be bullish risk. I think we've actually turned the corner. Uh, I'm bullish stocks. Uh, I think commodities have been washed out. I would rather be long commodities here, including oil and gold. And uh, bonds are, there's really not much to do here. Yeah. Well, Jared, we're going to have you back in the coming weeks. It's always a pleasure to do these with you, especially on a Friday afternoon. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me. We'll be back Monday with Luke Roman. Have a good weekend. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.